The issues that we've had with Conor, he's an incredible player, but probably the way Munster were playing makes him look bad. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Right, you're very welcome along. It is Thursday morning. Got to get that right here on OTBIM. It's Jer and Ashling with you all the way through until 10. Ashling, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jer. How's it going? Uh, so anybody who follows you on social media basically knows that all your social media accounts are essentially Celtic Stan accounts. <laughs> very surprised you made it in this morning and that you're not somehow on a flight to Glasgow. I know. I wish I was there now this weekend, Saturday, to actually see them lift the trophy. But uh, it didn't happen. But uh, no, I'll definitely be watching. I think I'm coming into town here and we're going to make a little bit of a day of it. Um, because it's great it's brilliant finally um, we get these scenes after a tough year and where will you go where did the Celtic fans congregate of a trophy lifting Saturday well I have a bit of a problem it's my mum's birthday too so I need to figure that bit out yet um, by location yes absolutely so uh, we're going to figure it out and see but uh, there's so many places uh, sometimes we went to Derky Kelly's here in the city as well so uh, we might go in there we'll see but uh, there, there's loads of options so when Ange gets announced there's general dismay, it has to be said, from most people. And then the results aren't great at the start. And there's this kind of sense, wow, what's going on? Who is this guy? And then things turn around. This is it because nobody knew who he was. So there was a lot of speculation, wondering, is he the right man for the Celtic job? A lot of people were definitely unsure. I think all of us were unsure as if he was the right person. But uh, wow, since he's came in, he's just changed things completely. The signings that he's made is probably... The, the biggest thing, like the likes of Kyogo, Maeda, Hatate in the middle, Carter Vickers, you know, you could go on and on. They're, they're superstar players, really. And he got them on a budget as well, you know, brought them in from Japan, a lot of them. And uh, they've made such an impact. And it's amazing to see. And I think Champions League football next year is, is where they want to be. You know, he's a top manager. He wants to be managing at the top level he has that chance next year out of the Scottish League as such you know people take maybe more notice and yeah he'll he'll get to probably put a real stamp on things then and they have a bit more time as well to work on things because he's still building this team you know we're, we're going to see probably more signings to come and yeah it, uh, only good things to come I, I hope Is there always a little asterisk in the back of your mind now though that you know at various stages managers sometimes at the peak of their powers have, have left I mean generally some of them at the peak of their powers, some of them have not gone on to great things. But, um, you know, Martin O'Neill left, Brendan Rogers left. Is there, I mean, obviously at some point there is a fear. It's, it's yeah. there. Yeah. Like you, you always have that, of course, because you, you have the Premier League teams looking in and then you think to yourself, right, does he, is that where he wants to be? But I think if you listen to him in his interviews, the type of person that, that he is, I think he wants to make a real stamp. And I don't think after just winning the, the league, you know, that that's going to be enough for him. I think he's bigger things to come at Celtic. I think we'll see him there for, for a lot longer. Um, look, I do think offers are going to come in for him because of what he's done and how he's done it in the short period of time. Mm. Like he can came into a mess, a complete mess. And look what he's done. He's turned it all around. Even after Christmas, they were six points behind. So it's really unbelievable what he has came in and done and the team he's put together and the way he's done it. So people are taking notice, of course. But I, I the sense I get from watching him, watching his press interviews, uh, you know, watching him post-match, I just, I, could, I think he will want to make more of an impact before. And you'd hope that if uh, if offers do come, that there'll be a counter-offer from Celtic to pay him what he would yeah. be getting if he was. Because they can afford to, once they qualify for the group stage of the Champions League, which they have done now, mm-hmm. they can afford to pay him properly. Yeah, 
absolutely there, there's that too so I do think the Champions League will be massive and what he can do in that you know I think people will be taking um, a look at that to see you know what sort of impact can he make there um, that'll be the biggest thing but uh, no God I hope he, he does stay on for a lot longer because it's amazing to see what he's done what, How is he able to get players to fit into the system quickly the, those signings that you talk about have obviously transformed the fortunes of the team this year and it's always a sign of a good manager to be able to get a player to come in and not have a six month or a year long betting in period for them. So what, what was it that allowed him to be able to get those players up to speed quickly? Was it the style of play and he was signing players specifically so. for the style of play? Yeah, I think so. It's almost a brand new team. So he's brought all the players in that nearly fit that style is, is what I think. You know, it's very fast paced. Um, you know, he has a sort of a tagline now that, you know, we stop with the final whistle. Um, you could see it on their the t-shirts on last night. We don't stop. You know, they put them on after after they had won um, the league. I know it was a draw last night, but after they'd won, they had the t-shirts on and it says we don't stop. It's very fast paced. You know, you see when they have a throw in, it's quick, quick ball, uh, one, two, sharp type of football. And I think he brought players in to fit that style. So um, even the Japan players that brought in, you know, the Japanese lads, they're, they're very quick, they're nippy. They never stop working. They're they're down like, you know, working hard as well as getting up front and getting on the end of the ball too. So I think he has built the team around the the, st- the style that he wants to play. So is, is it good to watch when you're there? Oh yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I've been over a good few times now this year and uh, yeah, really, really good. Like I think against Rangers in uh, just after Christmas, that was the best I had seen. There wasn't many games on telly uh, that night and I remember a lot of people online were, were tuned in. You probably were tuned in. Totally, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was such a good display and you could see how fast and nippy and exciting that they were. Um, so I think we need to see more of those performances. They have been consistent in the terms of getting results, but in terms of display, I think we need to see more of that consistently, if that makes sense. Yeah, OK. And uh, I mean, the, the perpetual question with Celtic is how much investment will they make in the summer? They haven't been breaking the bank in previous years, and yet there have been times in the past where they have signed players on decent money. So do you expect, have we heard, are there rumours that they're being linked with good players? I'm not sure yet. Um, they definitely have to back Ange. That's that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, they, they have to put money behind it now and let him, like, you know, get these big names in because Champions League's not going to be easy. No. Um, the likes of Jada as well that, that's in at the moment, you know, an unbelievable player. Um, so all of these signings have been massive, but uh, I do think they really need to back him now. It's seen what he's done, so we need to have these big signings. But uh, Champions League's going to help, you know, money-wise. Um, that'll all help but, but it uh, also helps to increase the value of the squad because you can charge far more for a player who's played 10 games in the Champions League as we see with the Portuguese teams if you've got Champions League year in year out action then those players are being transferred for 30 to 50 to 70 million mm-hmm. whereas at the moment players are leaving Celtic for not much money at all yeah, because it's it is the Scottish league, you know. So it's tough that way for him. Um, but I think, as we said, because of the Champions League, there's probably more players that are going to want to be there, want to to play there, um, and to see the type of football, the standard, the players. There's you know unbelievable players have came from Celtic. Um, so it, it's a great club to play for, and even the atmosphere. Everybody says it, it's like nothing else in the world. And if you do go to a game, it's incredible. It really is. Like it's it's amazing. See, like my first game, I I was in shock. Like I remember just sitting back on, whoa, this is something else. So I do think it's something everybody should experience. And you only hear both positive things from people who've played there. You know that it's just been a massive part of their career. And uh, in their heart of hearts, do Celtic hope that? Rangers are good so that there's a rivalry 
or do they really want Eintracht Frankfurt to absolutely spank them? Yes, absolutely spank them. But wouldn't it be better? <laughs> wouldn't it be better if there was two teams in the Champions League next year? It improves the European coefficient. It makes it more likely that there'll be more teams in future. A rising tide lifts all boats. Those games are going to be epic. Into the, that's that's actually you know. I know what you're saying. Objectively, yes. it would be good for everybody. I get it. I get it. But uh, no. No, we hope that Frankfurt do a job. Um, I was listening to David Clifford yesterday. He was He's a big Celtic fan. And yeah, he had a good little line saying, uh, hopefully now Frankfurt uh, get one over them. Do us a favour. But uh, no, no, we're all good. Thanks. <laughs> OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you want to get in touch, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or you can get us uh, at Off The Ball AM on Twitter as well. Now, it's the... I don't know, maybe it's the least excited the entire country has been about uh, Dublin, Meath, or uh, Leinster football semi-final. It feels like it's kind of meaningless. Certainly that's what you would uh, guess from the build-up to it. But what do the people on the Dublin-Meath border think? Here's a snippet of the colour that Ashing filmed out on the Dublin-Meath border. Have a look. We're here in my hometown over a tote in County Meath where the population has grown rapidly over the last 20 to 30 years with just over 500 people residing here in the early 90s to over 10,000 people living here in 2022. And that is all because Ratote was invaded by the dubs or as some Meath folk like to call them, the blow-ins. So I took to the streets of Ratote to speak to the locals about that Meath-Dublin rivalry and to ask the burning question, is Ratote more Meath or Dublin? And can you tell me about when all of the dubs arrived here to Ratote, what that was like? Well, I was still involved in the club, so that was the time. That was the time to get out of it. <laughs> I'm only look at they're they're a fantastic bunch of people. I love the dubs, and uh, they bring they brought something new to to Rathout. Uh, they weren't there in my time when I was playing hurling and football. Uh, they came into it, they're there, and uh, that's progress, and not a lot you can do about it. Uh, as as long as someday they maybe leave that blue shirt behind them and wear the green shirt. <laughs> I'd be much happier. <laughs> Some people that I've spoken to and I'm interviewing them about this, they say that they're lovely people. They're just unbearable when it comes to football. <laughs> I know. Uh, I cannot stand a blue blue T-shirt. My wife, I, she buys me these blue bloody T-shirts now and then. I discard them. It's just, and it's nothing bad. It's just that I don't like the blue jersey. I just love the green jersey. Anything green and I'm happy. Up the dubs! <laughs> God, you're so posh. Siobhan Gaffney, where are you from in Dublin and when did you move out here to Ratode in County Meath? Um, I'm from Artane and I moved out here about 25 years ago. And why did you move out to Ratode? It's getting good value for my money. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like the Meath people? And they're all right, you know. I prefer Galway or someone like that. Like, I have to put up with them. What can you do? <laughs> and tell me about the Meath-Dublin rivalry. When the games were on, say, back in the early 2000s and up to now, what was the crack like when you went out to watch the games? I was great, like, but you knew, you knew before you went, like, you were going to win, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we were always going to show we're winners. But sure, look, we just went, turned up for the entertainment, like the uh, meat people, the few that are left now, I suppose. <coughs> it's all up now, you know. So if I had to ask you, is Ratote more me than Dublin, what would you say? Oh, definitely more Dublin. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Unless they're in hiding, or, or I don't know, but uh, yeah, definitely more Dublin. And if me, they're being anyway successful now, it's because of all the Dublin coaches they have. Do you know what I mean? And did you make a big impact when you joined the GA club here? Absolutely. I told them all how to play uh, Camogie, showed them, and uh, we start winning things then, you know. 
So, yeah. <laughs> You're a true dove, aren't you? Absolutely. Full of confidence. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to. You have to. You have to be able to do the talk and walk. And we can do that. That's uh, Siobhan Gaffney there, who's 25 years living in uh, Ratoth, hasn't quite rubbed off on her. But there's a, we're going to play the full bit later on. Uh, who does her daughter play for? So Amy Gaffney, her daughter, she plays with Ratoth, my team, and she plays with Mead Camogie as well. Um, she's one of, yeah, their best players. Who's uh, her match here for when Dublin are <laughs> playing Mead? This, when Amy told, Amy told me that she is now a Mead woman and Siobhan was giving her eyes to be like, what? Oh my God, like, no. Um, but yeah, Amy turned around and said, look, I don't know who I am anymore. When I when I rang her and I said I was doing this piece, she said, I don't know who I am anymore, Ash. Like, I've lived here my whole life, played for Mead. My whole family is Dublin. And she used to always turn up to all of our training sessions in complete Dublin gear. Like, we used to be like, would you just stop? Like, just, will you like, even just as put a, on anything else? That's grand under, up to under 14. But over that, you're making your own choices because you're getting dressed in the stuff that your True. family bought for you. But after that, you're literally saying, I'm going to pick this and I'm going to wear it. Yeah. Make a statement. Uh, and they do. Like, even her, her sister, she's a twin sister, Louise. And they, they both play on the team. And last week, we did a game down in the back of nowhere in Meath and she had the Dublin jersey on <laughs> so yeah we're, we're very used to it in Ratope but uh, I was surprised that Amy said that she's now a Mead woman and yeah Siobhan was not happy as you could hear there um, uh, making that poor man go into the house to put his jersey on says Kenny the dad <laughs> uh, you didn't though you didn't he, he was happy to wear that he, any excuse any excuse poor Gohan yeah he lives in the Port St. Lane in Ratote and his brother Anthony Gohan would be um, a massive part of the Mead setup in New York would have been when, when they had the Mead team he's still involved in, in New York GA over there at the time um, but he is a massive Mead fan and yeah he, he was telling me I wasn't too happy when all the dubs arrived but uh, they're good people but uh, that's when I got out of the club he told me so <laughs> lovely people just unbearable when it comes to football yeah. I mean that they are kind of unbearable aren't they just the confidence even there with Siobhan I was like you're just a true dub like all this confidence and that's just what they're like so um, yeah it's funny they they just throw it in your face and that's the worst bit well I I was just about to say the worst part of it is that when people move from outside Dublin into Dublin they get short shrift if they are if they're keeping their kids in you know like Nathan for example sending his kids into wear Mayo jerseys it gets frowned upon it's like oh no you're supposed to join us now but when they leave they're like under no circumstances would we ever consider leaving Mm -hmm. and and our kids are all going to be raised in the uh, in the Dublin ethos I mean it is like the whole point of the commuter belt is that you're supposed to benefit from it Meath North Kildare we're supposed to benefit from all these dubs blowing in but it doesn't quite work that way it has like it definitely in Ratone in the GA club like we have a massive club like I I think how many lads we have over like six or seven lads that play on the Mead team you know um, all, all dubs though really at heart uh, no, be swapping the jerseys McGowan's. before the game at the weekend will they? No they will not we have Conor McGill he'll start full back he is a pure Mead man um, his brother Darrow is on the clip as well probably in the longer one uh, we have the McGowan's there Mead men as well so uh, yeah like the others maybe some of their family have moved in but we have benefited greatly from it. Like, and if, if I asked that question to everybody when I was out doing the, the Vox report, they said, look, they, as, as they said, they're unbearable in football, but the benefit that they have had to our club has been massive. When I was growing up, I don't think we would have had a team really without them. Uh, we won everything. And look, yeah, they, they did benefit that. Now, at the moment, there's maybe not as many girls that, that are from Dublin playing on my team, but uh, definitely throughout the lads and the underage, really see it on the underage coming up. But as I was saying, there was 500 people back in the 90s living in Rateau to well over 10,000 now. So it's the older generation who are unbearable. Their kids are grand. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's basically it. And a lot of them are getting converted. This is the big thing. Like I was speaking to Kieran, and um, he he works in the club in Rotote, and he's living there twenty two years in Rotote. And I thought, okay, he's a big dub. This will be great. Get him on. And then he turned around and said, "I'm a mead man now, Ash." I was like, "What?" I was like, "No way." He's like, "Yeah, I've been I've been converted because I'm watching." His son is playing with Rotote. You know, the lads around the club are playing with Meath. That's who he goes out and supports. And he hopes they do a job this weekend and get over the line. So we're converting them. So you live in down now? I live in down. Right, yeah. <laughs> How's this all going to work out? I'm always a Mead woman. That's never going to change, Jer. Never going to change. You say that now, but in 20 years time, you'll be like... <laughs> no, no chance. Yeah, no, no, no. No, absolutely not. Like... I love down. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love living there. But uh, no, Mead is where I'm from. Mead woman, true and true, and that will never change. See, the, I mean, you know. What about you, Jer? Well, I'm I'm from Kildare, but my kids, I'm like, I got my kids Dublin jerseys when they were kids. I'm not going to do the they, thing. They're from Dublin. They grew up there. Uh, yeah, they were born here. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a yeah, yeah. That that's probably the right thing to do, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I definitely, if I have kids down the line, I definitely think I'll be getting them a me jersey. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then <laughs> that's the opposite of what... <laughs> no, a bit about... Well, when I was growing up, I always had Mayo jerseys. My, a lot of my family would be Mayo. So well, it, it was nice to have that, but I never. I was always a mead woman. Yeah, but I mean, that's grand because they were not really a threat. I mean, maybe that one time in the 90s. 96. Yes. Uh, OTBAM brought you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Shifty Lad says good morning overall now that the title is won would Ashling like Rangers to win in Europe to pull up the Scottish League or get hammered and Patrick McHugh has answered that as a Celtic fan I would love nothing more than Frankfurt to take Rangers to the cleaners yes Woo. doesn't it make your achievement of winning the league better that like this was actually a good Rangers team as opposed to a crap one which was generally the consensus until they went on this run in Europe yeah, they, they look, they they played really well in Europe, probably better in Europe, it seems. Uh, some of their performances, I have been quite shocked at how well they've played. But um, no, as a Celtic fan, you just still don't want them to, <laughs> to do well. It's just the way it is. Like, would I like to see them in the in the Europa final because they're, they're it, it pushes along the Scottish League? No, 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 no chance. Uh, you're covering Derry Monaghan this weekend. Yeah. This is going to be a really interesting game because... Um, as the lads in the football pod have been saying, uh, Monaghan are going to be favourites. It's unusual for them to be favourites at this stage of the, of the competition. And uh, Derry did such a job on Tyrone in the first game. It's going to be hard for them to back that up. So it's we, it's very unknown what's going to happen here. Um, and we didn't really see Derry put under pressure in that second half the way Monaghan will surely put them under pressure unless they have a couple of sendings off or sendings off as well. So what do you expect to happen? Yeah, well, this is it. I think if we could have seen Tyrone full strength, you know, with 15 men left on the pitch at the end of the game, then we might know a little bit more about Derry. Not to take away from their performance, because I do still think they would have won the game, but it might have been a little bit different in how the scoreline would have reflected the game. It's a hard one to call. It really is. Monaghan, over the last number of years, they've always been consistent, like always Division 1 team. They're always playing Division 1 football. That's going to stand to you. Derry are, are at the, the start of this upward curve, you know, it, it's amazing to see, um, I've talked about it a few times, but seeing them last year against Donegal in the championship, when it was knockout championship, they only had the one game, it was 15 points to 16 points, one point game. And and they had the ball for like three minutes yeah, again, didn't take a shot. They didn't take a shot and maybe that came down to Bally Buffet, experience, all of these things, but... I was so impressed with them that day and that was theirs for the taking. And I remember walking away that day saying, whoa, if they 
had a back door, if they, you know, they had another game or two and they had some more game time, I think we would have seen more from Derry and we would have been talking about them more last year. So this year, uh, we can see the definitely the improvement and it's all about if they can back up that performance. They're coming up against a Monaghan team who are really on form. Jack McCarran, unbelievable. They, they've they've shooters. They really do. You get the ball up front and they can score. So it's about how they set up defensively, how they're going to stop them. But uh, I have confidence that we could see them back it up. Derry. Yeah. They're, it's okay. Yeah, it, it's hard to call. It really is. Like, I was it's trying like to... A, uh, the, the spread is a point. Monaghan are one point favourites. Um, yeah. T- a touch of odds on... Eleven to eight on eleven to eight dairy is the the price at the moment the bookmaker so they they don't really know what's going to happen either. No, it, it's so so hard to call. Monaghan. Big time. Um, but I think as well, Monaghan they're, they're such a strong team, and we seen it last year with Tyrone. They probably could have did a job there, and look, things could have been different. So yeah, I I I, I expect it to be really really close. But I think Derry, if they can back up their performance they, they had against Tyrone, that we could see them get over the line. Uh, it wouldn't be great news for the teams in the qualifiers to have Monaghan floating there, dangerous. No, absolutely not. They're such a dangerous team. Um, no, you wouldn't like to get them because they can always put in a big performance. Um, Banty's been around for a long time. He knows well how to set up against teams. Um, they're really, really good in that sense. And they're really good under pressure. We've seen them in, in the pressure cooker so many times where they can score that last minute free to get them over the line or the, you know hold the ball to the right time. And yeah, they're great in that sense. And they, they have a lot of experience there too. So yeah, it could swing either way. All right, it's uh, 7.51. We can tell you what's coming up now between now and 10 o'clock on the show. We're going to have Tomas Shea in just a moment. We'll do our hurling power rankings with Willa Callahan just after five past eight this morning. Uh, our new slot, Have You Seen, is looking at a Sergio Ramos documentary, which has two seasons, which I did not know about. That's Joseph Conroy going to join us around about 8.50. We've got Virtual Insanity with John Duggan. We'll also do an update on the Wagatha Christie trial of the century. Ron Nagara is going to join us at 10 past nine and more reaction coming your way at around about half past nine. Coming up, Kerry legend Tommaso Shea. First up, speaking of Kerry icons, here's David Clifford on last night's programme talking about the majesty of Morris Fitz. Have you had a mentor in any respect when it came to developing technique or kicking anybody you touch base with for advice? Um, and I, like I wouldn't have had a, a, a constant mentor. Do you know what I mean? There would have been obviously, so I remember Brian Sheehan coming to kick with us in Fossa when we were, when we were young. Um, I still I would still take some things from that just in terms of I suppose free kick taking. Um but I wouldn't say I've had like a like a constant mentor, but I've had different people along different stages, you know. Yeah. I guess if Morris Fitz says something to you, you're probably obliged to listen. Yeah, hundred percent, yeah. Um the big thing with Morris, I suppose, it was it was interesting, like it was all about the black spot, like so a score was never good enough for him, like it had to be black spot only, like so that was, that was <laughs> there was a pressure associated with that too right so you launch a beauty a Hail Mary just inside the post everyone's applauding you look over Morris is thinking wow wouldn't get too excited kid yeah yeah. Yeah, when then we wonder why uh, Kerry continues to produce uh, a series of icons because they've all had that to live up to yeah absolutely yeah Um, and David is definitely already one um, if not going to be just probably the biggest name ever in, in in football, it's it's amazing to see him in action. The the scores that he takes are like impossible angles, and you're like, how how did he do that? How did he beat two defenders and then score from that tight angle? So it's working. It is definitely working. It's going to be interesting to see like the the evolution of his career over the next few years. They kind of need to win in All Ireland, though, right? 
Yeah, and he actually mentions it in the interview with Joe that he's talking about the, the greatest people, the greatest sports people, and he talks about Ronnie O'Sullivan in snooker, and he said he needed to win um, that championship to really be seen as the greatest. We all thought it anyway, but he sort of needed to back it up. And when he was saying that, I was thinking in my head that that's probably like David, you know, that probably needs to get this All-Ireland that we can call him yeah, it's the not, greatest. It, it's obviously not now or never because um, himself and Shawnee Shea and a bunch of the rest of that team are, are still very young. But there, it feels like there's a window here where if they were to win this year, the, the remnants of the great Dublin team are still there. So they will be able to claim that they were still one of those teams who helped knock Dublin off their perch. You know, yeah. Dublin are reeling after last year. We know that. They're weakened. They're not the same team that won the six in a row. But um, they still have enough players from that six in a row team to be considered a great team. They still have Khan and uh, a bunch of the other forwards, maybe not quite at the same level as the Brogan Conley era, but from midfield and back, with the exception obviously of Cluxton, they're still a great team. Yeah. You know? Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot on the line for this Kerry team this year. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of now or never because they're in such a good position. Their league was so strong. They've improved so much since last year. Like defensively last year, that was the problem. You know, teams could get in and score goals and they defensively weren't that strong and they've set up now that they have that, as we've seen Paddy Talley's gone in, that sort of Ulster play about them defensively. But then they have this Kerry, uh, you know, skill and um, slickness about them where they can still uh, get up the field and take these unbelievable scores and yeah but defensively they they are like you know when they're tackling there's three four men around one and we hadn't really seen that as much with Kerry so I think that's a a massive positive and that they've tightened that up it's brilliant to see Um, but yeah I think it's a bit of now or never for Kerry all right, it's 7.55 this morning here on OTBM. Organic dairy company Glenisk have signed a five-year deal to become the jersey sponsors to the Offaly Football, Hurling, Ladies Football and Camogie teams. The partnership will also see them support underage development by sponsoring Go Games initiatives within the Faithful County. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by five-time All-Ireland winner with Kerry and current Offaly Football selector Tomás O'Shea. Tomás, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hi, Jar. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, deals like this are actually really important. Um, Glenisk, I think, uh, is one of those organisations that everybody became very familiar with last year when they had the fire in the factory and it was really interesting to see the local community rally around so it's clearly an organisation that is well got within the county and for them to turn around immediately afterwards and give back to the grassroots and the senior teams I think is a big statement from them about the role that they play and also just how important it is for counties to be able to tap on into local entrepreneurs and you know this sense of being part of a wider community. Yeah, I think you said it there. I think uh, local is, is the key word there. And Vincent Cleary and Glenisk have been outstanding in terms of what they've gone through. And it's been a very, very tough time for them. I think everybody rallied in behind them, which is a great sign of the relationship they have with their own local people. But for them to go through what they've gone through and then to make a very significant, I don't know what the exact numbers are, Jar, for them to make a significant investment in Offaly just goes to show that it's about more than the actual investment and that it's a, you know, it's a local thing and it's a, it's an Offaly thing and they want to be involved. And, you know, when you have the likes of Michael Dignan in the background, um, you know, drumming up this type of support, it is it is only positive and um, it's only a small part of it, but it's a vital part. Of it. We all know how important investment is in counties. So for, for Vincent Cleary and Glenis to come in, 
especially after what happened to them themselves on a personal level, it, it's it's a great sign of them and it's a great sign of the man himself and, and long may it continue because it, it is vital for not only the, the, the teams we all see on TV and the teams we see every Sunday, but the young lads coming up and um, it's all about investment and I think Hoffi are on a good thing with, with Kenneth, definitely. A quick word about Dagnan. Uh, it would have been easy for him to continue to use his profile in the paper and on TV to be a hurler on the ditch. But instead, he metaphorically and literally rolled his sleeves up and got involved and put his reputation on the line and has been involved in a massive leap forward for Offaly GA in the last couple of years from a position where they were a bit of a laughing stock nationally. In, in hurling and football, they'd gone from being contenders in, uh, and potential All-Ireland champions to a very low point to where now all of a sudden other counties are looking at them going, Jesus, how did that happen? Yeah, I think, you see, all successful teams... Jared, like a lot of things have to come right for them to, to to show that success and bring the silverware home. And part of it is you, you I, I don't know, I always hear different counties. You need to get on with your county board and you need to have somebody in there who understands what's going on and is clever enough to deal with the office side of it and the players and the management side of it. But I remember Michael Dignan talking about how things had gone um, in his own county and then he actually backed it up and he went in there and he, and then the thing about Michael Dignan is he's a hurling background but he's he played a pile of football himself and um, when I when I was asked to come on board it was himself and John Mahan and just talking to Michael Dignan if you, you hear him on TV and all that but if you talk to him about GA you know what kind of a man he is in terms of the GA and you know what he's about and you know that there's I think the key thing is the honesty and if he has an honesty of genuinely trying to get awfully back and it's not about looking at the end product, it's, it's looking at the start and, and looking at the young kids in awfully and they're doing an amount of work that probably won't come to fruition for a while yet, Jer, but it's it's the putting those and you could say, geez, everybody knew that and everybody knew that that should be in place and it wasn't in place and it possibly isn't in place in some counties still, but it is where it's at the young people and I think he's coming in and he's putting in a plan and I think he's trying to go through the clubs which is key to the whole thing if you don't go through the clubs and and put these kind of services or or, or whatever kind of link that there is with, with coaching and with numbers and getting the right people into the right positions that's what he's trying to do and it, it's I, I talked to him a good bit and it's phenomenal Charlie. like the, the, the amount of time that goes into it and he has his own day job. It's it's crazy. And maybe look, maybe other counties are in a position where they don't have to put in that time. But it is all consuming. You know, you've got the bigger counties that probably have full time positions, but then other counties don't. So what he I'd have great admiration for him. And the word I'd I'd use again is the honesty he has. You know, you can talk straight to him. He's not gonna hoodwink you and He'll be. He'll tell you straight up what it is, and that's what I like about it, and that's what attracted me up there as well. You know, why did you decide to get involved now? What What was the spur to, again, leave the comfort of being a pundit and decide? Actually, right, I'm, I have an itch to scratch. I'm going to start. Um, I, I I don't know really. It came out of the blue. I didn't have any plans. Um, you know, I was, um, I was interested. I, I remember I woke up. Uh, one morning, very early, going to work, and um, I saw the Kerry Twenties beaten again, and I was kind of, I, 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 I don't know. I, I actually texted the, the 
county chairman at the time. And uh, it was insane, really, when you think about it. It's six o'clock in the morning, this fellow texting, texting the county board chairman. But I was actually cranky because I didn't, I didn't like the way I, Kerry at that age level were being beaten every year. You know, you had five minor teams that come through, and I just wanted to, to throw my hat in the ring or whatever. And I don't, I suppose, the key word is the experience. I don't, I didn't have the experience. I, I managed minor team down here. I was involved with Billy Morgan with UCC for a number of years, and I was like a sponge inside there. And I took on an intermediate team in Cork, and I suppose I didn't have the real experience. And when that opportunity landed itself in front of me, you had an ambitious group of players. You had an intercounty set up. You had a manager who had an unbelievable amount of experience. There was no real great pressure on me. And it was a great opportunity to look, watch, learn, contribute in whatever way I could contribute. And I, I didn't have to think about it too much, to be honest with you, because as I said, when I spoke to Diagne, when I spoke to John Mahan, and then when I went, got involved and saw the players and saw the honesty and you've got the young lads coming, but it's not about the young lads either. It's about the whole setup there. And they have a great uh, faithful feels, Compare, compared to, to other setups around the county, compared to what they have in Cork here, it's it's phenomenal. So it didn't. The, I, I wanted to get involved. I'm not sure. I'm not really. I, I I enjoy being part of a setup, and I enjoy being part of the. You know, you you can never replace playing, but there is a buzz there. I love it, and I I love the hard nights training that they go through. And you, I didn't think you would as a as a coach or as a selector or as a manager get the same buzz. But it is when you see those fellas going in and hammering into each other and playing well and scores coming off and the creativity there, there's a great buzz there. And I'm really enjoying it, to be quite honest with you. It hasn't been a successful year in terms of what we've achieved on the pitch to date, but I've really, really enjoyed it. And um, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're going into the Talton Cup now and hopefully, hopefully we have a right good cut off that and make a bit of progress in that. And Tomas, you just said there, it doesn't replace playing, but is there anything that surprised you being on the sideline, watching in? Uh, I suppose, look, I think it's different in a way, like, you know, coaching is completely, you're always worried about yourself and you're worried about about getting yourself right for training. And I put fierce pride in that when I was playing, you know, you, I, I put everything behind behind football and everything was geared towards being right for that Tuesday night and then the next Thursday night and then after that. But I think with this, you're worried about a lot of things. You're worried about all the individual players. You're worried about what they're doing at college. You're worrying about the time, uh, injuries, um, you know, when matches are coming up, availability of, of ground. There's a pile of things you'd be actually stressed about and there's a pile of things that have to, you know, you have to be very, very organised. I wasn't ready for that side of it at all. Like, you know, I didn't understand I was involved in a club but the scale of things on an inter-county level is absolutely huge and I, I think that's opened my eyes more than anything. Um, you know, especially maybe in, in the weaker counties who wouldn't have maybe the financial backing and you understand now where that backing goes and where that um, you know it's not about the gear they wear or anything you know it goes into the, the, the food and it goes into the S&C and it goes into the coaches and it goes into an amount of areas and then you say yeah there's the gap there you know you can see where if you have resources how it can benefit you and how you can support players in a better way so I think it's just the backup teams and the, and the setup itself and the amount of time and personnel involved 
that kind of because I, I came from it wasn't a million years ago that I was playing 2013 and um, you know I wasn't it's not a million miles away but it's chalk and cheese compared to, to what was going on then and what's going on now and Tomas are you learning then the management side as opposed to the coaching side or are you doing a bit of both Trying to do a bit of both, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Sometimes I, I, I kind of question myself, and I wouldn't have the the confidence to go out to coaching. But I'm, I'm, I'm watching and learning. Like there's certain areas that I'd be very, very confident on, and you know, you, you can walk up to players and you can say, "Look, what you're doing there now." I think they're they're the strengths that I have because I can see things from a back. I can see things from forward. I can see things areas that we can improve on. But I do think that coaching is a specific. It's you can see coaches that are at the top of their game, and you have to have a lot of things to have in terms of coaching. And maybe I don't have that full confidence yet, Jar, but I work at it, and I'd have no problem contributing. But awfully, um, Park McDonald and Mark Fee are two coaches in there, and you know, are you only diluting it? I, I, the pressure wasn't on me. You know, when I was going up, it, it was like just you know your official title is selector, go in if you want to go coaching. There's no issue, like, but I. I I, I love getting involved in the actual football job, but when it comes to the actual coaching and technique and, and set plays and, and tactically where we're going, you'd have it in your head, but then I wouldn't have the confidence to implement it right now as other players because I haven't been a coach all my life at all at all, you know, and, I, and uh, yes, I, I coached the two teams for the last um, three years down in Cork, but it, it, it's not the same, you know, and I do have a fierce interest in it and, and I follow it, but there is a difference in terms of management and in terms of of coaching, and I've yet to, to I suppose, uh, find out for myself: is it coaching really, or is it management that you go down to? But you know, I, I think there is a difference in both. And yeah, I think intercounty with the two lads that we have above there, um, I, I leave the two boys drive at the the coaching themselves and. Uh, yeah, I see going forward, like I, I, I see myself, if I was going to be doing it, Jared, to be more on the man- management side, you know, because you have the ultimate influence on it. And ultimately, there's a few very important people within a, a setup. Like your medical team are so vital, your SNC is so vital, your coaches are so vital, but, it, but it's the manager that oversees who does what. And if you're happy with your team and you're organized as a unit, then you you achieve great good things on the pitch as long as and look at the at the end of the day if they if you don't have buy in from the players you're going nowhere and we do have buy in from the players, um which is key to the whole thing like you know, just on that then right, is there is there a specific philosophy or style of play that you're you're developing in your head as you go along here and, and watching see you, you've seen I'd say a lot more Division 3 and Division 4 football over the last couple of years than you would have seen during your playing career, obviously, because you were never in those divisions. And now you've kind of seen the full range, underage, Sigerson, uh, club, intermediate, uh, Cork football, Kerry football, and now you're seeing the, the lower tier division and we'll see in the Talton Cup exactly what that's like as well. Are, are you? Is your philosophy of football changed now from the end of 2013? And into the future, is that something that you'll evolve further as a manager, telling your coaches what to do? I think I have a better appreciation, Ger, of capabilities of teams. I mean, we'd be on television there and we'd be talking about, and I've heard people in the past, possibly myself saying it as well, I'm not sure, 
why don't they play a certain style and why do they have to set up a certain way? I think I have a better appreciation of why teams set up a certain way now. I mean, you look at it now in the SNC and there was a big thing for Offaly in Division 2 was the physicality of other teams and you would imagine that a physicality can't be the end result in terms of winning games. It can and it can play a huge part in it. If you could, you could be aggressive and push up on teams, Ger, but if you don't have the physicality and if you don't have the speed and the pace and maybe the skill set to do that, then you're going to struggle and teams are going to blow you away. And we struggled against the likes of Derry and you struggled against the likes of Roscommon this year. So then you have to tailor to what you have. And there is where you get coaches who have to coach in maybe a more defensive way. And you work then. The emphasis has to be on how you attack, how you score. Because at the end of the day, I think players at inter-county level, there was a time where, yeah, they buy into the defensive stuff and all that. But you have to lay in front of a team yeah, lads, this is how we're actually going to score. And you're not going to score unless you have an attacking threat. And we're lucky enough for you that we have five, six, seven players. There's young lads coming through, but you still have the likes of the Evergreen Isle McNamee, who, who at 35 or 36, I don't know what he is now, I'm afraid to ask him. <laughs> but um, he gives something. But at the, at the end of the day, Jar coaches, you can't go in and say, right, this is the way we're playing, this is the way it worked where I was before and this is the way we're doing it now. You have to look at what you have and you have to you have to build and it's never, I think it's never um, it's never finished. Do you know what I mean? You're going to say we're never actually there. You're going to develop more and you're going to develop physically and it takes three, four years. Mm-hmm. I understand that now and maybe I have a better perspective of it and you'd hear managers going on about it and you, you'd look at them and you'd have said, geez, that's a bit of a, an excuse and all that. And it's not really. You you have teams that are further down the line. Look at what Rory Gallagher is after doing above and on so many levels above in uh, Derry. And the physicality, and it taken him three or four years, Claire, Colm Collins. And the first thing, yeah, you can look at the football and you look at the players they have. But the first thing I'd be looking at from now, since I've gone into Offaly, is the physicality and the size of players because the perfect storm is you look at the best teams in the country and they tend to have most things right. But if you have the the, the size, the speed, the pace, the athlete, and if you can marry that with the football, obviously I'd always be a huge believer. You go nowhere without football and I believe that still. So there has to be a huge... It's like, Jerry, you don't have enough time at times you say, where are we going to get to time to focus on the physical side of it, to focus on the mental side of it, to focus on the skill side of it? And the, um, you understand then, Christ, I, I, I see why there's so much time being put in at inter-county level. But then my fear of it on another side, on a personal level, well, would be, especially for the weaker counties, Jesus Christ, why would I be putting in this time? You know, for what? Like, And that's where the Talton Cup comes in and you know, um, they need something. They need something proper. Like the league is everything to those teams. The league is absolutely huge to Division Two, three teams, way more important. Yeah, the Division One teams don't want to go down, but the reality is, Jared, the way it's stacked at the moment, they're going to get back up within a year anyway, most of the time. Um, so they need something outside the league to champ at and to want and you can blame the GA, you can blame players, and you can blame managements, and you can blame counties for the attitudes. But at the end of the day, it comes down to a personal thing. Do you want it or don't you want it? And if you do, then we'll go at it. Like, But yeah, I don't know what the question is, Jerry, I tend to go on and rant. That's and, all right. That was great. <laughs> Brilliant. 
and the, obviously the Talton Cup now these teams they have more game time they, they're going to play more football this summer is that the right answer to all of this that the, the Talton Cup what's your view on that Tomas? Um, I had a different views and I think it's it, like okay from, from, you could throw certain arguments in front of me and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of say yeah I'd, I'd kind of take that on board but my general view of it would be uh, like we had a chance in Division 2 to stay up in Division 2 so that we would not go into the Talton Cup so that was chance number one and that was lost and then chance number two was to get to a provincial final and that was lost so then you go into Talton Cup which I think is fair enough Okay, and I do think that they need something in reality in, in championship this idea of of you want to play for the All Ireland. Of course, you want to play for the All Ireland. Of course, you are you you want to compete for Sam Maguire. That has to be the 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 goal of every team, right? And that's what we did. We 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 were in that competition. Um, but if it's not there, and if it is a journey, which it is, for the likes of Offaly, and 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 really positive journey, I think it's it, it, the future is very very bright there. Then the Talton Cup has to be used for what you need it to to be used for. Is there a couple of things I change? Yeah, I think. I think the GA in the way they've just presented it is bad. Like them coming out, drip feeding stuff out. Like, right, that should have been sorted before the league was even over. Even the start of the season. I know it's difficult for them, but this has been in the pipeline a long time. Lay it out in front of us exactly what's involved, where it's involved. Um, the promotion of it. Like, Stop making it about money and start putting the players first in a way that they feel, yeah, the GA want this to succeed. The GA feel that this is important. So put these games before big championship games. Don't start regionalising it. Uh, put the All-Ireland final, put the final of the Talton Cup on an All-Ireland final day. Have everything arranged. Have it so that you can just look at a sheet of paper and say, whoa, Seven or eight yeah. big things there. They're serious about this. Let's go. Don't have it a week before where we don't know what the format is or how it's going to be played. And fellas asking, how in the name of God, like if you're treating it like that, then our players going to turn around and say, Jesus Christ, they don't even care about it properly. Or they, they're not giving it the respect. Like there's so many things about the championship that frustrates me. Like we have the most condensed championship and like, Okay, I, I'm not sure this this six months and it, I don't know will we ever, ever get it right, but you have six months and you have a pre-season competition. You have a Sigerson, which absolutely drove us insane this year because we had about eight or nine players and people say, ah, oh, squad should be big enough. Awfully at the moment are depending on young players and a lot of those young players are playing Sigerson. So we were heading into Division 2, which was a huge season for us and we had seven, eight players missing constantly. And I, I, in the most condensed season, I'm a huge Sigerson man, huge. They have a six-week Sigerson, and I'm saying, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? And then you have the National League, then you have under-20s, which and people might argue awfully shouldn't rely on under-20s, but here we are again. Yes, there are lads at under-20 because they have such a good team come true last year that we are still depending on. Uh, Keith O'Neill is a serious young player and that you probably use and injuries hit us and you have the All-Ireland Championship. So you have 
five competitions, six competitions that you're trying to squeeze into six, seven months and you're saying it's not going to work. And like the flip side of it, and I'm going off on a tangent here, Kerry played last weekend. They have to wait now in this condensed, the most condensed season of all. They wait three weeks until the Munster final and wait another, wait another four weeks until an All-Ireland quarter final. Yeah. There are seven weeks in this condensed season which then will point you back to the provincials and say, what in the name of God are we doing with provincials? Like, why can't we have a championship that runs off every two weeks for everybody? I mean, they had, no matter. Well, they, they voted that proposal B down, which would have fixed all that. One, one last question for you on this. You, you talked about the regionalisation of it. Do you know if you're in the north or the south yet? I don't, George, to be quite honest with you. I don't know. Am I? I, I presume in the south because of the fact that we were... And that look... Uh, right now, that might sound, why don't you know that? Well, we're, we're just so consumed with what happened down in Wexford. We're so consumed on getting the heads right and getting the football right. And let at this stage, and this is wrong, like because you have teams saying, look, when, when they have that stuff sorted out, when they know what they're doing exactly with the Talton Cup, we'll know, which is wrong. It should be laid out fully, mm. ready to go, that we know and we can say to the boys, right, this is what we're doing, lads. But the fact that it was in the COVID time that the league was divided up and they were in the southern half, I presume we'll be in the southern half, but that's not a guarantee either. I'm not too sure on that. Um, but I mean, look, on a, on a, like, do Ulster teams want to be going at Ulster teams again? Do the southern teams want to be going at no. the southern teams again? There's question marks about New York and everybody loves seeing New York um, involved and they have two boys to a quarter final like are you diluting the importance of the competition I look I do think and I, I I think it's a very very hard fix anyway but I think that the GA could be doing a lot lot more yeah and so I, if you're going to be serious about it promote it properly and mm-hmm. and put the time and effort into it like the provincials they're going to fill the stadiums anyway the Ulster final they're going to it's going to be full anyway you know Promote the other games and put it in a way. Put a put a, a Talton Cup before. Yeah, that's the, a really the good point. Finals. Put, put it before, before the, the big games. Yeah, get get yeah. the crowds in, and then the lads themselves. You know, they have the crowds there. That's great for them. They're getting seen. All of those things. Maybe we could have done the same with the other twenty All Ireland <laughs> final this weekend instead of putting it in Carrick and Shannon when they're playing in Cork Park. And anyway, look, that's a we have tangents the galore. Thing, lads, is they will say, and I think it's wrong. Right, they'll have minor team, and look. The, 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 it's 17 zone which they're, they're kids basically but they won't put the Talton in front of, of the senior final because they'll say it'll be because of money they won't say it out but it will be because of a money situation in fact because they'll say look we'd fill it out on their own there's no point in carrying two other teams from the Talton Cup who would need X amount of tickets we'd sell those tickets anyway stop making it about you're going to fill the bloody thing anyway let if you're serious about promoting the game in the weaker counties give them the day do you know mm-hmm. Corella Tomas it's been brilliant thanks a million alright lads so on. On. that's um, Tomas O'Shea brilliant as ever giving us a wide range of thoughts he was there to announce that um, or to help the announcement that Glenisk are now the official title sponsors of uh, Offaly that Offaly jersey leaked with the Glenisk logo on it a couple of months back and uh, we were salivating about it. it it's a beautiful beautiful thing it's lovely absolutely lovely yeah and um, like in all honesty, the factory burned down and everybody came and milked the cows and kept the thing going and it's a massive employer. So it's great mm-hmm. to see a global success story, a family business, um, leaning back in and giving back to the community. So uh, genuinely delighted for everybody involved. And Dignan, 
definitely somebody who puts his money where his mouth is. It's 21 minutes past eight. Up next, Willa Callan, it's uh, an awfully special this morning, is giving us his latest hurling power rankings. During the ad break, you're going to hear myself and Owen calling out the debatable effort of our colleague Adrian Barry in preparation for the upcoming try tie in association with Whoop that brave members of Team OTV, like me and Ashling, are doing the full version of. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, I just want to finish and stay safe. So you are doing it now? Uh, yeah, for well, sure. As- assuming that all of, um, <laughs> the, all of, assuming everything works when I get there. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. 25 minutes past eight. You're very welcome back to OTB AM. It's Jaron Ashling with you all the way through until 10. Willow Callan is with us at 8.26. Will, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, in a pretty reasonably good mood. Reckon I've got these uh, hurling rankings nailed down and watch one of the best games of hurling last night that we've seen all year so far between Clare and Tipperary. Remarkable uh, minor final in Munster, which was finished with a pretty exciting penalty shootout as well. Right. Uh, it has divided opinion, it's fair to say. <laughs> it sure has. Um, this always happens, though. I think GA people won't embrace the idea of penalties. I think it's often because we've got... Post-colonial inferiority complex. Is that what you're saying? Sorry, did you use the words post... Sorry, Will. ...that they feel the only fair way to decide the game (laughs) is to go to an extra match as opposed to playing penalties. I think James Woodlock was very honest about it after the game, the Tipperary manager, when he said, look, we've been aware all week of the possibility that this final could be decided on penalties. We've been practising for them, and I'm just delighted that my team have come through. So... I, I, I kind of, I know, Ash, you said earlier on that you faced the situation last year where there was confusion after a game and it ended up going to free kicks as opposed to penalties. I think that's perfectly unacceptable if someone doesn't know beforehand. But I think if people are aware, look, they've prepared for it. They're ready to go. Penalty thing is a fair way to decide a competition. Yeah, that's the key thing there. If you're aware, so you're aware, then you can practice. Then you can't really say anything after the game when it goes to, to penalties. You, you know, you're prepared for it. So that's that, in my opinion. But yeah, we went to free kicks in a semi-final last year. We never expected to go to free kicks. I've never seen it even being done before. I know they brought it in in the the men's game at one stage. um, I don't know if it was just club championship, but uh, they got rid of it as quick as. And the way they they actually decide if they're going to do it is the county board decides before the game. But we didn't know as a team. So we went to extra time and it was still a draw after extra time. And then they said, okay, nominate five kickers to take these free kicks and like we had young girls being like no no chance like they were running away from the ball which one did you take <laughs> <laughs> no dear leave me alone <laughs> on, I'm the, I, I take the freeze so you so. take the first one or the fifth you're like the Ronaldo one <laughs> yeah, something like that um, but well, it, which one did you take <laughs> Mo Salah over here <laughs> no um, I took the pen out put us in it put us in extra okay, time okay? okay that's all you're allowed to know alright um, did you miss <laughs> yeah okay well at least you took one <laughs> I took one but I missed yeah horrendous and I was a free taker so that was even worse it was honestly traumatising obviously traumatising it really is yeah alright sorry but, for like but let's just let's just uh, you know let's um, embrace the trauma for a moment so uh, how did you decide in those two minutes when it's like okay this is going to happen and also where were they taken from um, so just at, uh, at the D, so just, yeah, just outside the D, which was quite far out. There was a strong enough wind as well. So that was all to factor in. Um, and the other team were so good at free kicks the whole way throughout the game. So <laughs> even as we were stepping up to it, it was like, they haven't missed one free kick the whole game. And they had two free takers, you know, from both sides that hadn't missed. And I was like, oh, obviously that plays in your mind stepping up. And then we have quite a young team. And... Heard they, a lot of excuses here, Ash. 
oh no, like it was traumatising. Honestly, as, as we're talking about it, penalties is the way it should have went. We had practice penalties in training. We knew who the maybe top three, at least top three who were going to take them. You know, then you had the few others that would step up, but we needed five. But we knew who they would be. With the free kicks, we were all thrown. We just did extra time, gone to obviously a draw again. We were wrecked. People were cramping. And then they're like, it's free kicks. We're like, free kicks? What? Yeah. I've never seen this. So it was just a big shock. So I definitely think it should go to, to penalties. Like That's something that I think most teams are w- way more prepared for. Uh, Willow Callan last night tweets penalties aren't cruel at all when teams are well aware in advance that the game could be decided by them and that they've been preparing for them angry producer Mick very quickly in a couple of hours later do you not find it strange a couple of hours it was like 3am when he tweeted this do you not find it's a strange thing to literally just lift a tiebreaker from another sport it doesn't even make sense for GA where goals aren't the only way to score very lazy solution and then Mick Foley uh, of the Sunday Times well 100 plus years ago there was a rule that allowed lads to settle their differences with an hour of wrestle rather than blighting a match with a brawl maybe there's something uniquely GAA in that to settle these games uh, a sock wrestling like push some sumo style push somebody out of the D and that's the, your team wins <laughs> you put your two best scrappers in who would it have been from Dublin and Mayo back in the day who would you have gone for so Philly and who <laughs> Uh, Mayo, Eugenie Mack, Lee McHale. <laughs> oh, Lee McHale definitely would be there. <laughs> you can't, you can't celebrity grandfather somebody in. This isn't celebrity deathmatch. <laughs> somebody from the game. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have Conley. I don't know. You want somebody with a, a low centre of gravity? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Con. It's Conor Callahan. Or, yeah. or, or do, you, yeah. Or do you want someone like Aidan O'Shea who kind of has that? bit of height and strength about him as well he'd be, he'd be a difficult mm. guy to fight yeah okay we got we did get um, on a Tomas O'Shea tangent there uh, so you think penalties are good they're grand we should all get on with it look I appreciate the point Jared, that some people made and Anthony Daly the former Clare captain was one who made it very well which is that it's difficult for 16 year olds to be stepping up to take penalties in a provincial final now the point of the side of that is like whether it's on TV or not is kind of irrelevant and you want these games to be publicised so that's just part and parcel of playing at this level and it is character building for young people to play in a pressure situation like this and I'm sure that they take penalties at probably every single training session it's the last thing that you do and look it also last night the fact that there was no replay both these teams advanced to the All-Ireland series so Tipperary is provincial champions and uh, their goalkeeper what a hero to save two in the shootout and to score his penalty even at the second attempt last night but they go straight to an All-Ireland semi-final Clare go into the round robin with Galway and the losers of Monday's Leinster final between Offaly and Leash so the year isn't over for Clare I'd actually be surprised if Clare don't get back to an All-Ireland final Uh, they were really really good last night played particularly well in extra time but Tipperary will feel maybe they should have had it wrapped up before that extra minute was played on where Clare got the equaliser so really good game penalties is a fair way to decide it and I wouldn't be surprised if it's tipping Clare in the All-Ireland final again Alright so it's not it's not it literally is not the end of the world uh, or metaphorically either. So let's get into these rankings then. Yeah, all right. We'll start off with um, 24 through to 19 then. Uh, no great surprises with not a huge amount of change here. So Wicklow have already been relegated from the Christie ring. I was tempted to potentially put Roscommon, who were going really well in the Laurie Marr, up into 24th. They could well do by our next uh, ranking update. Donegal, who are joint top in the Laurie Marr table, are in at 23rd. Then you're looking at the Christie ring team. So London at 22nd. Slight drop. They were 21st last time round. They've been replaced by Sligo, who are contesting with Mayo uh, to try and get to the final of that competition. Mayo in a 
20th. Meath, who've been relegated from the Christie Ring, are on the verge of doing so in 19th. Uh, Derry in 18th place. And then just above them are Kildare in 17th. Uh, Kildare having booked their place in the Christie Ring Cup final. After they got their NACE players back, they stayed in Division 2 of the league. And now they've got themselves into the Christie Ring final and will probably be favourites to go up uh, to the Joe McDonough for next year. So that's how we're looking on slide number one. Uh, we can spin on to the next one. Yep, so moving along then into our top 16 then, uh, you've got a Carlo team who've had very kind of indifferent results so far in the Joe McDonough Cup. Gave Antrim a really good rattle last time out, but have lost their uh, other games. So they're not really in contention at the moment to qualify for the finals. So they come just inside the top 16. Uh, you've got Kerry and Down just above them. So I think there's been a slight switch in places um, after Down's defeat against Offaly, which has seen Offaly go back up to 13th place with Kerry just behind them. Those two teams meet in the Joe McDonough Cup in Tralee in what effectively feels like a semi-final this weekend. Antrim are on the verge of qualifying uh, for the competition's final. Whoever wins in Tralee is going to be really well placed to follow them into it. But down technically aren't totally out of the competition despite that defeat against Offaly. They'd have to win their last two games and hope that results go their way. And then you've got uh, Westmead rounding off the uh, top 12 who are uh, still awaiting a win in the Lee McCarthy Championship since coming back up from the Joe McDonough. But their most important game is not this Saturday where uh, realistically they're going to lose out to Wexford but it's their game away to Leash to see who stays in the Leinster Championship next Saturday that's going to define their season so then uh, we move into the top rankings uh, in the table uh, we've got Antrim in 11th place they're basically into the McDonough Cup final they've been very impressive uh, we're able to qualify for that final despite not having their star player Neil McManus for the start of championship beat Offaly in the first round which set up the platform for them they do still have to play a carry in the group stage of this competition uh, but Antrim are very well placed to qualify Leash in 10th place they've had a difficult uh, summer with the injuries that they've had to uh, sustain they played very well against Dublin remember we spoke about this on the last uh, update but then since then they've had to play against some of the really top teams like Wexford put six goals past them last time out and really their focus after the Galway game this coming Saturday is that match against Westmead then perhaps the most eye-catching one we've got two Munster teams who've fallen way down the table after their defeats at the start of the round Robin Tipperary are down to ninth place which I'm sure I'm going to get pelters for given that they were ahead against after an hour at the weekend uh, but Tipperary's fall really comes from the last ranking that we did where Tipperary were very poor in their game against Clare they're effectively out of contention to qualify in the Munster Championship with a couple of weekends to go so they slipped down to ninth place OK let's get to the most important here's the here's oh, the top eight just in time Hank decides to get annoyed about Tipperary's placing in the table. In eighth place are Cork, who were the big fallers they were in third place last time that we chatted league finalists <laughs> of this year All-Ireland beaten for last year and really really strong championship so far the two point defeat against Clare was deceptive I think Clare were nine or ten points the better team on that day at Semple Stadium and they were beaten pretty comprehensively by Limerick in the first round of the competition on home soil at Porky Cueve when we were thinking maybe this Cork team have a kick maybe they can put in a performance like they did in the first half against Limerick back of the league that did not transpire and in the second half particularly they faded miserably now on the hurling pod this week something that's been totally lost Jaron Ashling over the over the last couple of weeks Patrick Horgan is now the top scorer in championship history I remember the fading on both Henry Shefflin and on Joe Canning when they took that record it kind of quietly happened with Patrick Horgan because it was in a game where Cork were beaten against Clare but just kind of to acknowledge that and also to acknowledge the fact that the GAA keeps such a poor record of important statistics themselves like this should be a massive achievement I'm not quite talking about like Buddy Franklin people coming onto the pitch like in the AFL or Ray Allen coming out of the stand to Steph Curry with the NBA but at the same time surely this should have been marked along the way um, but Cork won't be qualifying for the 
the All-Ireland series, I don't think they're sitting in eighth place. Just above them, you've got Wexford in seventh. Uh, they dropped behind Dublin after the direct results between the teams where Dublin beat Wexford. Uh, both teams are still in contention to qualify in Leinster and for the All-Ireland series, but Dublin go ahead of Wexford in sixth. Kilkenny in fifth place. Uh, they drop one place because they lost out to Galway in Salt Hill on the day of the Salt Hill shake. As a result, Galway, as we predicted, so, start of the year on the so, very first power rankings up to fourth. So on, if the free had gone the other way, it'd be Galway five, Kilkenny four. Yeah, possibly because Kilkenny had been like Kilkenny had started Home off advantage. quite well. They yeah, see they'd swept the results up until now. Kilkenny have got a chance to draw you know, effectively. Yeah, I think I would yeah. put Kilkenny before. And look, Kilkenny have to beat Dublin. And the thing is, we're kind of nearly all assuming that Dublin are going to lose to Kilkenny at Parnell Park this weekend. But that game still has to be played. I mean, Dublin have got a huge opportunity to qualify after their win against Wexford lost them out. So um, despite the fact that we've had so many one-sided games involving Leash and Westmeath and the other teams, Leinster's actually been pretty entertaining so far. And we've got a four-way chase for three places. The field's pretty wide open at the moment. So Galway up to fourth place. Got to respect that result against Kilkenny, albeit a very late free from Conor Cooney. Claire, the big risers, they're up from seventh on the last rankings up to third. Again, they have been so impressive with their start. Um, took out Tipperary uh, with no mercy whatsoever. And, you know, they backed that up with a win against Cork. Um, Clare go to Limerick this weekend, perhaps with a Limerick team who won't have Keane Lynch. And given how Clare have started... They sh- probably should have won when they played in Ennis back in the League 2. The Clare might feel that at Cusick Park this weekend they can get a result against the All-Ireland champions. The only one thing is, I think Limerick, with the way that they played against Tipperary, will still be going reasonably full tilt when they go to take on their neighbours this weekend. That's the match of the weekend uh, on Sunday. But if Clare were to take that, they have to give serious consideration about going into the top two. The top two, Waterford, the League champions, um, they haven't played because they had a break last week after their loss against Limerick, but they push Limerick closer than they have in the last three years in that game at the Gaelic Grounds uh, they should be able to get a result against Cork at Welsh Park this weekend which will leave them still very well placed to qualify for the Munster final and the team who are officially back on top because we didn't do a rankings after Limerick against Waterford last time out is that Limerick are back as the top team in the country three years in a row Ger first three games of the season 30 points scored in each of those games. Remarkable consistency from John Kiley's side. There's going to be the distractions off the pitch at the moment and the headlines from during the week. They've had to deal with the fact that Keane Lynch is out for the entire Munster Championship. They missed Kyle Hayes for their second game because of his hamstring injury. And still, the Limerick machine keeps motoring on. And even when they hurled within themselves for an hour against Tipperary at the Gaelic Grounds last Sunday, they still found a solution in the last 10-15 minutes of that game to get the result. Limerick, top team in the power rankings. And totally understandably, and I think pretty predictable, uh, even in the midst of the, the worst league campaign. Um, certainly, when Gerard Hegarty on the show just before the start of the championship, and he was like, ah, sure, look, it'd be grand. It was like, yeah, that was the subtext. He didn't actually say that, but that was definitely what we got. Tipperary on page two. I mean, it's like we just take it for granted at this stage. Tipperary, how far the mighty have fallen. They should be All-Ireland contenders. They've had a, a, a horrific season with injury, so it's difficult to judge the job that Bonner is doing. Sherlock Nan in the paper yesterday or the day before, mildly critical of Liam Sheedy for not bringing enough young lads through, and so therefore he felt they, they weren't up to championship speed just yet, that they could go 60 minutes in a big game against Limerick. Are they that far away? Are they really the ninth best team in the country? Um, I would, if I was a Tipperary fan, I would have been massively heartened by the way that some of those young players have played in the first few games, and particularly against Limerick. Like maybe they've actually happened upon a new system and some new players to fit into the team by the fact that they've had so many injuries and the way they've been rocked by retirement. So, look, I'd be very much thinking this is a team on the way up. Players who were very, very good at 19, 20 years of age that maybe didn't get 
had a huge game time the last years. We would have expected getting uh, action in the championship. So I'd be very hopeful that Tipperary are going to jump back up the rankings in 2023. But we're obviously basing the power rankings on what we've seen in the game so far in the championship. I think it's sort of like Tomas O'Shea, what he was explaining there with Offaly, that they're you know on the way up, that it's going to take uh, maybe two, three years to really bring those lads into the Notoriously into the team. fickle Tip fans do not have patience. But they have these young players coming through at the moment. They're exciting. They put out a good performance against Limerick. I think it's really positive and you have to go through those periods. You know, it takes time to build a team up, especially an All-Ireland winning team. So, um, no, I wouldn't be too worried. Bear in mind as well, lads, that a lot of Tipperary supporters felt that they were going to get a complete and utter scutching when they went to the Gaelic Grounds last weekend, which isn't what transpired. Yeah. The final result okay. uh, was actually pretty deceptive. And I think more people would have travelled <laughs> if they had a bit more hope. I think there was that feeling from Me, Tipperary. Me, the awfully right. patronising Tipperary on the show this morning. <laughs> I'm here for it. Don't worry. I, I, I have your backs. It's 8.41. Will, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Hank as well. Uh, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. How are you? Jaron and Ashley, are we well? Yes. John. Good. What's going on? <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Uh, there's so much we could talk about. Um, I suppose just from a headline point of view, we'll get to Celtic winning their 52nd Scottish title. and Postacoglu's done an amazing job. They're 25 points behind Rangers last season. Rangers are not a back number. They're in a Europa League final and Celtic have won the title. So well done, Celtic. One all draw at Dundee United last night. Man City will be the English champions. They've got a, a, a three-point lead over Liverpool and a goal difference of plus seven. They only need four points from the games against West Ham and Aston Villa. I think they'll be okay. Kevin De Bruyne uh, with four goals last night against Wolves in the 5-1 win. When Pep Guardiola is sipping cocktails uh, on a yacht somewhere in the summer, will he be regretting taking off De Bruyne in that Champions League semi-final second leg against Madrid because he's the leader of the team? And you could really see that last night in the way he played. That's one thing I'll be definitely wondering. Uh, Leeds, it took him 16 years to get back into the Premier League and I think they could be going down now. Like they lost 3-0 to Chelsea last night. Daniel James with a moment of madness getting sent off. They never had a chance after that. They were Their discipline has been shocking. They're the first team in Premier League history to get 100 cards. It's like, I mean, come on, there's a relatively easy fix to that. Yeah, and like at the moment they're on the same number of points as Bernie, but Bernie got a better goal difference, a far better goal difference, and Bernie now have a game in hand. So Leeds are in trouble. Uh, Everton are two points better off than Leeds, also with a game in hand. So I think Leeds could be going down. They've got... Brentford to play on the final day so look they'll have to hope to, hope to have a bit of a miracle but we've, we've kind of buried the lead so much Jamie Vardy scored twice last night to be honest lads maybe I'm, it's a dereliction of duty Ashley, you're, you're not paying attention to the court no interest come on no no, interest. This is, I no thought this is right up your street why would it be right up my street <laughs> <laughs> the Peter Andre stuff was funny but um, apart from that I haven't really been paying attention to this at all I mean, it is pretty amazing stuff. So we're, we're talking about the Waggett Christie trial. Day two uh, uh, yesterday. So Jamie Vardy's wife, Rebecca Vardy, was on the stand. She's taking the case and was yesterday cross-examined as if she was on trial herself. And it feels rightfully so, you have to say. Uh, she has, it turns out, a long track record of uh, leaking stories about his teammates. Danny Drinkwater, done for drink driving. She had details of that that she was um, that she wanted to be uh, paid for for leaking that story to the son, but it turned out the son already had the story, so she didn't get paid. And there's devastation in the text messages between her and her agent. These are the text messages that they have access to because uh, they don't have access to all the text messages because after they requested the phones, which you know you're allowed to do in discovery, and is therefore incumbent upon you when you are asked in discovery to give up your mobile phone, you have to give it up. 
but the agent's mobile phone was um, unfortunately washed into the sea accidentally and uh, <laughs> another another laptop which might have had also some track record of uh, um, conversations between them also got damaged it's a, it's a bit like in the cycling case that time when the laptop got stolen from a coffee shop it's, it's mad how this only ever happens to people who are involved in very important court cases where there's going to be a, a paper trail of, of stuff Um yeah, it's just... Are you engrossed in this, Ashley? At the start, I was, definitely. And when it first broke, it was unbelievable the way that she, like, it all broke, that it was on Instagram and, like, that that they caught her that way because, you know, she didn't have this... She blocked all the other followers and that's how it was caught out. So that was amazing. You know, it blew up because it was like, how did she even think of doing this? But now at the minute, like, they pleaded with them not to, to let this go to court. Please settle outside of court, you know, because of all of this, because everything else that's coming out with it. But it's just unbelievable to wonder why you would go to these lengths. Like, surely I, you, you'd have enough money. You don't need the money. Do you, like, what is the the reasoning behind this? It's just it's just unbelievable. But yeah, it's uh, it is so entertaining. And then it brings football into it, too. When you see the Wayne Rooney in court, like it's it's I saw some <laughs> Twitter meme yesterday of Wayne Rooney um, paintings, uh, like or artist impressions of Wayne Rooney being in court. Yeah. Like there's just photographs of him outside as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just a drawn picture, a relatively well drawn picture of Wayne Rooney in a suit. Um, <laughs> uh, so the text about Danny Drinkwater, um, I'm just trying to find it here. Uh, she, she, she. Reading text between Mrs. Vardy and Miss Watt, Mr. Sherburn told the court in central London, you say, he's only just been let out of the cells last night and then you wanted paying for this. To which she said, which police station? They'll need to confirm with the police station before they write it. The they she's referring to is the son, isn't it? Mrs. Vardy confirmed that they was the son, but explaining the comment after being paid for information, about being paid for information, she said, it was a fleeting thought. It wasn't a serious comment. Um, you know. Uh, later she said, it was something that wrongly I got involved with this was um, you know uh, I shouldn't have done that thing and uh, she apologised that the messages were not good she didn't care if the information came out I'm deeply affected by drink driving my ex-husband killed two people during our marriage so it was it was against drink driving as opposed to trying to get paid for the story it's her story in court um, and then the stuff about Riyad Mara is not turning up right uh, when he wanted to get a transfer from Leicester to City she had a story there that the lads are fuming. It was speculation of just bits of information that I'd heard and overheard and also read in the press before. But you happen to be married to his teammates. The lads are fuming. And this is how it gets into the papers. This this is how the information, this is how the back pages of the tabloids, we read our tab of the morning. It's coming from people who are uh, very well sourced, as in she has been told by somebody with direct knowledge. Um, And that's how it gets there. So this is what the what the Rooney side are trying to do is establish a pattern of her leaking stories so that uh, it's believable that she would have leaked a story about Colleen Rooney to, in the end, the son. Um, like, how did Jamie Verdi go out and score two goals? Like, watching this, like, unfold. It's so embarrassing. Like, it's, it's awful. I mean, he, he definitely has nerves of steel. Yeah. Well, you know, it's important to compartmentalise in life. Uh, Mrs Vardy tried to gain publicity during the championships in France by deliberately taking someone else's seat behind Mrs Rooney and writing about her for the sun, the court heard. Bizarre. You wonder what people's motivations are. I mean, 
money and fame do a lot. They're, they're powerful, intoxicating yeah, we're, drugs. We're, we're, all, we're all pretty calm about our money and fame here. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what I'd be like. <laughs> we're pretty calm about our fame. Um, the reason that you decided to put into your diary piece that you were sitting behind Colleen Rooney is because that boosts your public profile. Mrs. Vardy replied, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Got a very high public profile now after this. Like, it'll be interesting to see what the response of the public is. Is that what she wanted all along? I mean, she's going to be famous, right? Will she get her money back? Say, say she loses or say she has to pay some um, money in costs, right? Which is possible. That's a range of outcome. Will there be, like, will there be massive influencer campaigns paying her money for her TikTok and her, her Instagram video? And will she just make the money back in a couple of weeks from, like, fashion brands and... Oh, why would you want her on the face of your brand if... If this because she's true. famous, but if this is if this is all true, and what would you if, want her the face of your brand? But what if there's like twenty percent of people who think, oh yeah, I'm on Team Vardy, and that twenty percent are important enough for marketeers to go, yeah, I mean, she's everybody will be following her. There's always going to be the rubberneckers. Mm. It's gonna it's gonna reach big audiences. Like, is there a way that she that they all end up making money out of this thing? Which is the judges. Oh, like, they always oh. will. Yeah, they they definitely will. But I do it's think she'll come out don't do worse. This. It's off. gonna be it's gonna be an absolute fortune for you. But that's not really how the world works anymore, is it? No, like, I think she, if if this is true and it all comes out uh, to be proven, well, then she will come out worse off. I don't think brands will be queuing up to to want someone like that to be their their face of their brand. They do rehabilitation in England as well as they do uh, in the US, because in the US now it'd be a massive like comeback story. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't even be a comeback story. It'd just be like, oh, look at these two celebrities that are we're going to buy their stuff. Uh, does she does she have like a fake tan? I mean, maybe she does. That like. Turns her into a billionaire. Maybe we're the chumps in all this. We are the chumps. Yep, we are. The more you talk about it, we are the chumps here. Um, our Spurs going to be chumps tonight. 7.45 start against Arsenal. Owen that's Keane. why they pay him the big bucks and that's why he's famous. What a segue. Well, you know, um, Thomas Partey is not there, but will it be a Partey for Arsenal? Um, if they win, they're into the Champions League. Spurs have won four of their last five games at home in the Premier League and... Arsenal just need that draw. Harry Kane, you know, can, can Spurs, who are counter-attacking team, take it on the front foot against Arsenal this evening? Absolutely fascinating. And obviously we'll see Owen's report then tomorrow morning on OTBAM from uh, White Hart Lane, the new White Hart Lane. I wasn't really too happy to see this penalty shootout last night. Um, Tiberi won 22, Clare 25 points, w- went to extra time and they couldn't separate them. And then they went to penalties under 17, uh, 3-0 to Tiberi, won it. I just think, what is the rush well, they all have leave inserts and stuff coming up. I think that like having a match finish on the night, we're kind of used to it. It's knockout. It's not a league. Play to the end. And if everybody decides that they don't want penalties, have a golden point. Yeah, if they're aware at the, the start golden of the point's game. Golden point's a good idea, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, there's probably other ways that we could look at it. They're, like we were talking about um, the American football, the, the way they do it there. They do, they do play to last score, isn't it? Last score wins. Isn't that how they do it? Um, like there's probably other ways that we could look too but I think if both teams are aware that it's going to go to penalties well then that's part of sport yeah I'm not going to get into the calendar rant because that'll take probably about half an hour but I'm just we had a bit of it from Tomas O'Shea a little bit earlier on Um, like Dara O'Shea wrote about it yesterday in the Irish Times I just think this is just complete madness now maybe it's because the whole championship structure is completely wrong as we know what it is especially in football but You've got the, you've, like, everything is about the Premier League now, Scotland, uh, Champions Cup semi-final on Saturday. Um, by the time we wake up to the GA, it'll be nearly done. It's a big, big, big weekend of GA action as well. Not a peep about Dublin Mead, apart from us. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is 8.52, time for virtual insanity.
You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Something Donnie Darko bunny about that whole um, intro, I think, to Virtual Insanity. But the good news is we only got two golfers to talk about this week. We're at the Byron Nelson uh, Tournament in Texas. It starts today, 12.45 hours time. The pot is 1,103 from 1,000, 10.3% profit for 2022. Last week, Matthew Fitzpatrick was tied for second, our headline tip, which was frustrating at the Wells Fargo Championship. It means, though, what I'm going to do is going to reassess uh, my tactics this week. Sometimes it's five or six golfers, only two this week. And I'm going to go for Wills Alatoris as the headliner. Wills Alatoris... 22 to 1 for 10 each way. 50 of the odds, the first eight places with William Hill. And loads of other bookmakers have different odds, but all that kind of thing. He's never won on the tour. Could you believe Wills Adatoris has never won? Masters runner-up last year. Three times in the top 10, the last three starts. Is from the area from Dallas. Has played the course hundreds of times. The Craig Ranch course was leader in approach at the course last year. Didn't put too well, though. Was in a tie for 17th. But I think he's putting better this year. Everybody's going to be tuning up for the PGA next week. But I think Will Zalatoris needs that monkey off the back. He needs to win a tournament. We see all these photos of him and Scotty Scheffler when they're juniors playing together in Texas. Scotty Scheffler has now began the uh, ascent to greatness, winning all these tournaments, becoming world number one, winning the Masters. Will Zalatoris needs to win a tournament. So while Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson, all these players are tuning up for the PGA next week, I think Will Zalatoris wants to win this week, and I think he can win this week. I think he's a good each-way bet. Give the way sitting the ball at 22 to 1 for 10 each way. And then the saver is a 200 to 1 shot, 1 euro 50 each way on a former teammate of Lala Torres, the Walker Cup, is Doc Redman. So Doc Redman, 200 to 1 for 1 euro 50 each way. Um, comes out of nowhere, was second, third, fourth on the tour last year, was third in New Orleans in the team event only a couple of weeks ago. Then he missed the cut last week, but last year he missed the cut and then he turned up at this tournament and was tied for ninth at Craig Ranch. I think actually the wider fairways this week will suit him. He's good on his approach shots and I think he's a talented guy, Doc Redman, a former US amateur champion. I'm taking a small flyer on him at 200 to 1 each way, but Will's out of Taurus. Team's out of Taurus for virtual insanity this week at 22s. All right. An interesting change of strategy mid-season. Let's hope it pays off. John, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk and on otbsports.com and on The Breakfast Show on News Talk 2. It's 8.55 this morning here. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment uh, using the hashtag OTBAM and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Right. Joseph, good morning to you. Joe Connor is with us to talk to us about um, stuff we may have seen, we might not have seen. Definitely, this is one I have not seen. No, I have not seen. Morning, Darren Ashing. Yeah, it's one I hadn't seen either. Um, so I was just thinking last week, uh, so far in this new, uh, shiny new slot, we've gone through McCarty's Park, which was the 2000, sorry, the 1999. Really interesting in retrospect, Flying the Wall, Mick McCarty, Ireland documentary. We've done Katie. Uh, with Ross Whitaker, which is again another brilliant documentary. But then, what about all those other documentaries out there? What about the maybe not so brilliant, but possibly good or not good documentaries that we've just not seen? So, in steps, my new uh, my new best friend, the legend of Sergio Ramos on Amazon Prime. Uh, just off the bat, Sergio Ramos, two series. One series with eight episodes, second series with six episodes. How excited or unexcited are we at the prospect? Two series of Sergio Ramos. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, and which period of his career is this now? Because that's important. Is it like when he's, you know, uh, rescuing Real Madrid in Real Madrid style against Atletico and shithousing his way to being one of the greatest defenders of all time? Or is it like, you know, the year spent doing nothing in Paris Saint-Germain? Uh, this is all pre-Paris. Uh, season one is... 
2018-19, so the year after they've beaten Liverpool in the Champions League final, uh, but they have a disastrous season. So you just get great stuff of just Sergio hanging around and it's like they're playing the media clip. It's of like, this is totally unacceptable. We don't expect this from Madrid. We won't accept this. And it's like, Ramos is like, phew, gee guys, this is pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. No, but Teggy, you might get sacked. Yeah, I think he's going to get sacked. You better win this weekend or he's going to get sacked. That's kind of the level of stuff. Season two is the following season, which is 2019-20, which is Zidane back and it's the lockdown season. But um, so if our kind of premise here is we're wondering about these big budget, big name documentaries out there in the stream sphere uh, that we're wondering if they're worth our time, it actually proves out to be really interesting because season one and season two are very different where season one is like really questionable kind of reality TV sort of this is a bit of a push where it seems that after season one for season two, they've kind of got their act together or maybe it's kind of post Last Dance, post Drive to Survive. Uh, maybe they've gone, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. But um, just to kind of contextualize that, I might just play you a quick clip from both seasons. Uh, this is series one. Uh, just a warning going into this. When I first put this on, I was like, all right, this is going to be in Spanish. Uh, going to kind of focus in here, going to be reading the subtitles. But um, it started automatically playing dubbed, kind of Squid Game style. So I decided to go along with that, which uh, <laughs> means we can bring you audio like this this morning. This is a clip from Series 1. Uh, this is an introduction to a key character in the life of Sergio Ramos, his brother, Rene. Uh, I'm going to make a call and then I'll... Understood. Okay. I'll let you know who it is right away. Great. Very good. My name is Rene Ramos. My relationship with Sergio, aside from being his older brother, I've been his manager for 14 years. Sergio will always be my little brother, but I'm not shy to reprimand him to keep him in line. Rene as an agent is very demanding and quite serious, but in the end we bring out the best in one another. Give me a minute. I'll call you when I'm ready. Okay. Hello? Brother, how are you? Good. And how are you? Well, after everything that's happened, given our poor performance and all, we have to try to win again and let things calm down a bit. You already know these are... When things are bad, you see things in a different light. So the key is to defeat your next opponent in the Champions League and then to surprise everyone in Barcelona. For now, just focus on your game. Yeah. Okay, brother. Sounds good. Okay. We'll talk later. Bye. Love you. Bye. Wow. Hello, older brother. How are you? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> uh, it's very hard to take anything seriously where the uh, the dubbing is so shit. <laughs> it's like... Okay, brother. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. brother. Yes. Uh, I mean... It's like one of those uh, robotic, ro robotized voices on TikTok. Similar in uh, the Neymar documentary as well with him and his dad. It's quite like this. Um and yeah, I don't think you get a. I don't know what it, what it's like in this one now, Joe. But you didn't really get a good look into him as a person. I wanted to, you know, to know a bit but more. Neymar. Yeah, just to know a bit more. Is there more to him than we all we see? You know, the the style he plays with, he, everything else that we know about him. Is he is he like that? Is there a more softer side to him? Is there yeah more about him? But uh, it's very much about his brand and how his dad has been pumping his brand since he has been... Isn't that the point of these documentaries? Yeah, the, yeah. this was going to ask, is it, do you see more into into his life about him or is there a purpose behind this this whole documentary? There's definitely a line in the sand between series one and two. Uh, like I was saying, it's kind of 
last week we played a clip of Ross Whitaker talking about when he first sat down with Katie Taylor and he was almost taken aback by the fact she was like, look, we're doing this, has to be raw, has to be unfiltered. It's almost like if I'm going into content, I'm going to win the content war. Uh, series two definitely is a lot better. Um, just the clip you played there is pretty typical of what you're getting in series one. Um, series two, though, definitely the production is up. The format's changed from 25 minute episodes to uh, 47 minute episodes. So a bit more Ramos content, fewer episodes, but better episodes. But um, it's actually amazing because they retell full stories and full arcs that were done in season one just completely ignoring the fact they've already told the story and they're like, oh, we're going to actually tell the story properly this time. So in series one, he talks about, he's from Seville and he's like, yes, going back to Seville is always great. It was great to catch up with my friends in Seville. Where in season two, they start talking about Seville and they actually get into his um, controversial exit. His transfer from Seville to Real Madrid um, was kind of problematic on both ends and, and meant that uh, kind of, as the season restarted, both the Madrid, he's kind of falling out with the Madrid fans and the Seville fans. So just, I have a clip here from season two, which sort of, you'll probably notice the tone shift. And in fairness, if you are interested in Sergio Ramos or interested in Real Madrid, series two is actually worth digging out. But um, yeah, here's here's a taste. Uh, he's talking about his uh, Seville exit. In the end, all of the information was manipulated. The Sevilla supporters were lied to, and that led to them treating me and thinking of me in a very hurtful way. It was not only painful for me, but mainly for my family. I will never forgive them for the pain that my grandparents and my parents felt. To this day, they still can't set foot in the Sevilla Stadium. And I get emotional because, after all, I've enjoyed that stadium since I was a kid, and... Well, people might have a different opinion, but my grandparents aren't alive anymore. They can't go back in time. And those are things you can't change. You can't rewind. You can't hit pause. That is the biggest pain I feel inside of me. And maybe that's why I behave the way I do whenever I score a goal in the Sevilla Stadium. With anger and with rage because of everything my family had to suffer through. <laughs> but at least it's more real. Cher, <laughs> are you in or are you out? Come on. I think at least that's more real. Season well, two, you, you yeah, hear maybe well, what you want to hear. I would have liked to have, have heard what happened there. I, but you can't, you can't fake the, the fake American pretending that he's Sergio Ramos. Like, I can't get over that. Well, that Oh, yeah, that's tough. I feel this real pain. My <laughs> grandparents died not knowing that the people of Seville really love me. They should have rethought that. Look, your man's fake well, crying. Well, first off, yeah, there's a significant <laughs> improvement in the voice acting in series two along with everything else. Well, come on! How could you not? How could you not enjoy this? I did. Sorry, it, but but it's clearly like uh, all those bad people over there made me look bad for wanting to take all the money and turn my back on my hometown club, who I could have brought to greatness. I could have, you know, been the one that helped them get over. Instead, I was like, I'm gonna go win loads of Champions League and get loads of money. Come on, Sergio Ramos, have a little bit of self awareness. No, I like. I'm not sure if it was a rights issue, a time issue, or what, but um. The first one is like pretty standard archive stuff. This series two, though, they're like, they've kind of last danceified it a bit. So you actually get the clip after that where he, he's playing in Seville. He scores a Penenka, the most kind of a proper Piero, like taking the piss Penenka, then runs over to the corner, does kind of a bit of a Ronaldo, kind of the Ronaldo turn, but turns into a kind of pointing at his name motion and then pointing at the fans and cupping his ears. So, I mean, this is. 
like there's gold in here. Um, just on kind of the whole manipulation of events, like series one is like it's almost it's it's like kind of history students study propaganda because it's interesting to see kind of what regimes wanted to how they wanted to frame themselves or how they wanted to tell their story. You've got this bit where they're playing Ajax and he, he's on the yellow in Champions League and he picks up a second yellow uh, in the last few minutes of the game. And there's this controversy afterwards because someone's like, hey, Ramos, you're on a yellow card. Now you have a clean slate for the rest of the tournament if you uh, progress. And he's like, oh, well, maybe that yellow card was not so accidental. Uh, that kind of resulted in this UEFA investigation into him and he ends up with a two-match ban. And then we get to watch him a few weeks later, Gogglebox style in the Bernabeu, watching uh, Donny van der Beek-inspired Ajax destroy Real Madrid and knocks him out of Champions League. So that's kind of your payoff for season one. But series two is actually is actually decent if you can embrace and enjoy the uh, the voice acting and everything else going on. Okay, so it's actually skip season one, go straight to season two. Yeah, and I'd say if you're predisposed, if, if you feel like you've got a gap in your life for six hours of six odd hours of uh, Sergio Ramos content then you won't be disappointed if you're on the fence maybe give it a skip He's, he is genuinely one of the most interesting characters in world sport over the last 15 years like um, yeah, unbelievably successful who managed to add something to that Barcelona team that became the Spain team that won the World Cup so I definitely I can see why people would watch it you've been watching Cheer Cheer, yeah. It's two seasons as well. It follows uh, Navarro cheerleaders. Um, this is a team based in Texas in, in America and it's it's unbelievable because what, what comes to mind here if you think of, of cheerleaders? What, what, what do you, do you think there's much uh, training that goes in? I've seen a bit of this, so. Okay, because <laughs> when I first went into it, I would have thought like, Ah, easy enough like yeah it can't be too much to it and then you watch it and see the athleticism the training how tough it is the injuries they're fearless like they're throwing each other up in the air these stunts that are absolutely incredible and they're just kids as well that are you know going through college and then this training on top of it that is hours long every day it seems like after after college so it's it's amazing to see their journey and just the train and everything goes into it and it sort of follows like five individuals on the team as well who have good stories um, within it and then Monica their coach as well uh, she's an amazing story she was a cheerleader but nothing too amazing like she didn't have amazing accolades for her name but she then built this from the ground up and now they're like the most successful cheerleading team um, great storyline to it they've rivals that are not too far 40 miles away in Texas they're their rivals and they go and they compete at Daytona that's their the big cheerleading. That's the all Ireland, really, um, to them. So yeah, it, it's amazing. I definitely would recommend to watch it because I think you'd definitely get a new view on cheerleading for sure. All right, Joseph, good stuff. What are you going to watch for us next week, or have you decided yet? Uh, we'll have a think. I don't know if anyone has any, any suggestions. Send them in. There's a few kind of like just off the top of my head. There's a great kind of naughty's Dublin one uh, up on the RTT player. We might need to look back at. Um, I think Galvanize is going to get needs to get revisited really at some point, but. Um, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see where, what way the wind blows during the weekend, where things take us. All right, feel free to give us recommendations, use the hashtag OTBAM. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. Centaur is the story of Declan Murphy, a remarkable jockey who was um, a champion flat jockey who had a horrific brain injury. Stuart Lancaster at uh, three o'clock, our retro panel is coming to you at four. And then Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali at six. You can follow off the ball across all our social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the uh, sports app to enjoy the best and latest in sports content and analysis. During the break, we have a little taste 
of the latest episode of The Football Pod. The show is going on the road in the Royal Theatre, Castle Bar, on Thursday, the 2nd of June. Tickets are on sale now. Go to otbsports.com forward slash events and get yours. Stay tuned to OTB for more details and more shows to come. The Football Pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championships. Check out the, the toughest, the hashtag the toughest, for more. Ronald Gar is next. If I was playing, if I was playing on a sunny day, and I saw a fella run into me wearing gloves and the sun was splitting the stones like it was, I'd say, this fella's a mulliger. That's exactly <laughs> the part that brought through my head. Jimmy's got to get this pod cancelled here. Like. <laughs> a mulliger. It's the first time the word's been used properly on this show before. Uh, 13 minutes past nine this morning. Ron O'Gara, good morning to you. Hi, Jar. How's it going? Very well. Very well. What part of the world are you in at the moment? I'm at home. At home. Yeah, so... um. I was thinking all right about what you'd be saying to me at the start, and I it's yeah it's mornings like that I have to remind myself I have a job and um, if I flick the camera a little bit <laughs> it would be uh, easy to sometimes I forget I actually I'm coaching La Rochelle so uh, this is most definitely a morning of we play Sunday so Thursday morning is kind of the morning you can breathe for a little bit before the CEO or president or whoever gets there. Uh, hands on you for for urgent issues or non-urgent issues but um yeah i was laughing to myself going um this is why i'm here 25 degrees uh beautiful weather playing a semi-final of european cup uh exciting times do you have to consider what the lifestyle is going to be like when you're signing players i know for teams who are in vegas for example they need to do a lot of due diligence on the players to see if they're a bit too into nightlife if somebody's a you're bit jumping too into, you're jumping a little bit there now Joe. if somebody's a bit too into surfing or lying on the beach are you like oh. either way to vegas is poles apart most definitely but um uh yeah one of the interesting I suppose constraints opportunities um, reasons to think deeply on contract renewal is um, obviously where the players live lifestyle opportunity but also not getting into that comfort zone so I suppose a good example of that would be you know Tuero Carvalho Victor Vito guys from um, all black winning World Cup teams that have come, um, but have left. I suppose, as they say in France, left their traces. That are less. Uh, they've left their print on on the club and continue to do so because I suppose their habits are really good and they're uh, really good professionals and they're an example to the esports. Sorry, the academy players of of La Rochelle, which is. Uh, essentially, yeah, we need them performing on the pitch for the professional team, the first team, but also you have to kind of, I suppose, educate the younger players. This is what professional looks like. This is what, shall we say, you know, in our early days, Monster Day Off was kind of the Wednesday. So we literally took it as a day off. So popcorn, cinema, uh, feed up, you know, but now day off for the, for the modern players, very, very different in terms of it probably starts with potentially yoga to... Um, massage to stretching to maybe a little bit of mindfulness or or relaxation. Um, so yeah, the I suppose as you know, uh, the data is is getting better all the time, but so is also probably the openness of players' minds. That, I mean, that's kind of the key thing that's changed in, in the two decades is that um, there was an old school 
amateur mentality and now people are actually legitimately seeing this as every extra season is another season spent playing, earning money, learning, furthering your career. And the kids, if they're coming in with that right attitude, they can have 20-year careers as professional rugby players now. Yeah, it's so interesting. And that's something I think that's probably... I can see that difference between even in the generation gap between... Uh, Shkin, sorry, Donica Ryan and myself, you know, even because he he informs me about that's exact, exactly how a forwards mentality would be. I can, you know, me potentially squeeze another 12, 24 months out of my body to be able to do this because, as you say, their job, job description for a forward uh, is very, very different to, we'll say, a number 10. So if he gets bud, good, and I remember the words of Donnick O'Callan, like his body is his business, and Jamie Heaslip, they invested in it, and they put in, I suppose, tools to to enhance their body to be at the best it could be, while I suppose someone like myself or a back, we would be more uh, enthralled by the skill, talent aspect of it, while for other people, it's no, actually, uh, I need to get whatever, 6,000 metres in this game, if I can continue to do that for as many uh, years as I can, I have, a, as you say, the capacity to earn good money. And just speaking about the players there, obviously I think we're a lot more educated around those sort of areas now of knowing to, to get the stretching in, to do the yoga on the days off. But as a head coach, Ronan, does your mind ever get a rest? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say um, it it does, but I, I don't look upon that as a punishment. I look upon that as a pleasure or a privilege. I, I, I love what I do. So I think when you love what you do, you don't look upon it as a job. There are times, yeah, like everyone, you get absolutely frustrated, dejected. Uh, and um, at the stage of the season, you know, the further you go, the more disappointed you get. So we're entering that territory now. Um, so we've no guarantee of... Of proceeding this weekend but the goal is to go another stage and then after that you want to try and win a final but it's getting down to the to the juicy moments of the season and, and this is what we live for and this is what we do um all our season for but one of my big points to the players is that you got to enjoy the journey so there's no point just okay it's fast final now or european cup semi-final we don't change we we we, we we repeat what we've done but we got to do it more accurately and with a little bit more tempo and a little bit better we had Tomas O'Shea on a little bit earlier on and he was talking about um, he woke up one morning after the Kerry under-20s had been beaten and he texted the county board chairman essentially saying, I want to get involved here. I'm fed up with this team being beaten. And he now looks back on that and thinks, oh, sure, I just didn't have the experience. The county board chairman must have been going, who's this fella? So now he's gone off and he's, he's working with Offaly and uh, he, he's kind of going through that bit where he's interested in the coaching, very interested in the coaching and, and soaking it up like a sponge. But actually, it sounded like he's decided that he actually wants to be a manager because you've got the ultimate say. I know from listening to Stuart Lancaster, when he was the England coach, he didn't have enough of the actual coaching part of the job because all of the rest of the stuff that goes with being the, the team manager or the team principal took him away from the coaching aspect on the field. On weeks like this, do you do more coaching than managing than you would in other weeks or do you, you say things don't change but do you change a little bit? No, I think you're just conscious of not having them on the pitches as as, as you would in other weeks. You know, I mean, you're not going to get fitter or better at this stage of the season. Where you need to get better at this stage of the season is mentally. 
so there's a big focus on that um and and your question is very interesting and the fact too i think a lot of people are average sports fans i think underestimate um you know the impact the hurts the level of um profound uh dismay when, when it was Stuart Lancaster he's coaching England in the home world cup I think there are very few occasions in world sport when when we have seen that example of of managers in that situation I think yeah we've seen it with the English football team but we saw it with the English um rugby team you you, you look at the squeeze that came on New Zealand in in, in the rugby world cup uh, you'd know that nature um when when they scraped home against France, was it in eleven? Twenty eleven. Yes, yeah. You know, and you look there. What um, I suppose the pressure that was on on that management team when there was a nation essentially, you mean, holding a spread in, in terms of that outcome. So that's I suppose for anyone else part the person you're able to move on but when it's Stuart Lancaster when it's me after losing the final it, it hurts it really really does get to you and it's it eats at you and it's you need a few days to even kind of resurface and have a plan to come back but then I suppose to tie in what Tomas is talking about too there's something fascinating about the emotions of sport and the emotions of people and trying to unite a group of 40 odd players of which 12 of them really don't like you because you're not picking them and then you've got a lot of guys who really like you and really believe in what you're doing and then you're going into a dressing room after uh, a game and you're high-fiving the guys who are playing and then the kind of guys that aren't involved that weekend are like get away from me <laughs> <laughs> that's the hard side of it all is it even tougher as a manager to have oh we w- way tougher because you're yeah. there's kind of one boss you know so they know you make the call. You pick the team, and and you want that. But I think you try to tell them, you know, that I don't really want you to like me, but I just want you to respect me. And then let's get over what we both want, and then hopefully there's a, there's a happy ending for both both parties. At the start of this conversation, you talked about the the um, administrative side of this, like the the CEO and the president. How much of your job is coaching? Uh, so much of it is. I really, really am uh, into coaching. I, I will not be distracted by, by the other elements. Is that a weakness of mine? Probably is um, in terms of, um, you know what I mean, Pr- uh, getting other stuff organised. My, my memory and my capacity to see beyond the medium term is very, very poor. And that's an area that I need help with, but I have good people around me to do that. But in terms of my focus, George, it's very, very short term. Uh, yes, the recruitment is hugely important, but there's a team in place for that. Um, but I think what I appreciate as I get a little bit older, more experienced, is that there can't be 10 important things. You know what I mean? There just isn't 10 important things, otherwise it becomes average. So you can put a big focus on being really good at two or three things and trying to excel in that and then uh, make improvements in the other areas. I had to look up. I think you're playing the game in Lons this weekend. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, there's huge disappointment, uh, frustration, I think, in the fact that um, there's a concert booked for the U Arena. So obviously that's a big business. So, uh, 
there was no guarantee Racing would have a home, I suppose, semi-final. It seems to be the year of concerts, disturbing yeah. rugby games. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to Lawns, which is seven hours by road from La Rochelle. Uh, no flights, really. So uh, a lot of frustration among among supporters here, most definitely, because um, it's hard to get to. It's a Sunday, four o'clock. There's school the next day, work the next day. But they're... Um, it's still a European Cup semi-final, you know, but if it was a Bouclier semi-final, I think the place would be full. We, we probably uh, won't have many fans there this week, however. Six hours, 56 minutes, I'm just looking at is the um, the map. So, like, <laughs> are you involved in all of that crap where it's like, okay, we need to talk about how the team is going to get there or do you just go, get us there the fastest way possible, tell us when, where we all need to be? No, you are involved there because it's semi-final and it's a big game and you're looking at putting on other flights and what was, I suppose... You know, it's a European Cup semi-final, but some people don't get that. And uh, I suppose for for a lot of, I suppose, the foreigners, you want your families there. And with that, it's you need to organise flights. Is it a realistic option of getting them there? So there was there was a lot of that. And you've kind of, you know, you, you want the players not in the, in the I suppose, the togging out group. Um, at the game as well because they have given as much as the 28 people who will tag off so uh, there are little tricky bits like that Jared, that are that are you mean that's the, the frustrating side of the job most definitely Presumably the best part is trying to work out how to stop this racing team and Mike Prendergast uh, No I wouldn't even use that language it was more um no, I, I I would flip it on its head and go, how we are going to uh, rip them apart. That's my plan. So, you know. So tell us, tell us, do that. He's definitely not listening. <laughs> tell us how you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, so, but that's it. I, you know, I think the fascinating part of it is that it's, um, you mean, it's, they've seen all our games. We've seen their game, but we have a plan to stop them. They have a plan to stop us. So, like, there's, there's a capacity for maybe one or two uh, Josh Schmidt plays. Incredible analysis to come out on either team. But other than that, um, you know, it'll take a life of its own from a decision, uh, potentially a poor decision from one player on either team. And then the energy of the game will flow in a different way. And it's up to the players, the leaders on your team to kind of uh, reconstruct your, your performance from from that point, if you understand, you know, I mean, we've got to basically uh, get back on task and stay in the moment and then refocus and continue to, I suppose, implement what we want to do on Sunday. There's a view that Manchester City have not produced leaders on the field when things are going against them, that Guardiola's style is to impose his style and his thinking and get everybody to play in a way that has been unbelievably successful. It is hoovered up domestic titles everywhere he's gone. Um, do you want your players to play in a specific style or do you need them to actually be able to respond when somebody makes a bad decision on their team that instead of going, all right, well, that's it, game's over now, somebody's screwed up, that they're able to think their way out of it? And if that's the case, how do you actually coach that? Yeah, well, exactly. And it's something that, that I have put a lot of thought into. I think what you're trying to do, Jared, is give them a framework with three or four options within the one module. So if this picture is presented to you, you can pick 
uh, this option, this option. But that's off kind of medium speed ball. I think, as you know, we've had good people on this show in the past talking about this uh, rock speed. Uh, once your rock is fast, there shouldn't really be a plan. Go play, flow. Uh, you know what I mean? Play on instinct. Uh, play at speed. If speed kills, it's the one thing that kills in the game is speed, and uh, that's the one thing you're trying to to install in your players. The guys who have uh, and it's forwards as well who have capacity to shift at high speed. Once the ball is quick, there shouldn't really be a game plan. And just speaking about uh, Munster and Toulouse, the shootout. What did you think of that, Ronan? Was it fair? Of course it was fair. I think the rules are there and we, we understand how it's going to finish. So um, once, for me, I find it absolutely fascinating. These people who speak about the penalties being a lottery, it's a, such a great mental test under fatigue. I, I just, I will debate this and contest it all day long. And the fact that it will be at rugby or soccer, it's harder in soccer because you actually have a goalkeeper. In rugby, it's a fixed skill. So you trust your process. It either stands up under pressure or it doesn't. And if you're um, a killer, which I wasn't in Northampton, you're able to produce. But what an opportunity for place kickers to show their skills. You know, you look at someone who wasn't spoken about, I'd say, much in the Irish media is you know, the difference between the team, which is Ramos. It can be you know, an opportunity in a way, you know, to... I just, perfect that skill but also to see what you're like under pressure for you did you enjoy that part uh, when it got I suppose to, to later in your career did you look forward to those moments I absolutely loved it I absolutely loved it but I you know I think that's you know, there's so many elements in a hundred minutes that it, it's a freakish kind of um set of circumstances that after 100 minutes it's still nothing separates the team so okay we'll go to penalty kicks but then all of a sudden it's you start completely from zero and you're into kind of a new exam and you got an you just got to completely refocus resettle and um you know i think to lose were um extraordinarily better than Munster in the situation. Munster missed three kicks, Toulouse didn't miss. And outside of the middle then, uh, what would you have preferred, a right or a left kick? I don't get that either. Every kick is the same, from the touchline, from in front of the post, whatever. The only thing that changes is the game's going on in your head. So every strike is the same. So, I mean, once you understand the angle and you concentrate on strike, Every kick, so a kick from the touchline, a kick from the middle of the post, it's exactly the same. The only thing that changes is your angle. So have you got, I suppose, complete trust in your process and your angle and your setup and your routine? Can it work under pressure? Where you are, pull the trigger, enjoy. Yeah, so your setup will always stay the same. It's only probably the angle of your body that you shift, but you'll always do the exact same thing for each kick. 100%. In a nutshell, that's exactly it. The only thing that changes is your angle, but this is what you, your 200 kicks in the week as a young player or your whatever, 50 to 60 as an old man when you're getting to the latter stages of, a career, of, of your career, that 
that's the only thing that changed. And when you know it works and you have that credit in the bank, you're just trusting your timing. Imagine the adrenaline too at that stage, no matter how how tired you are. No one missed because of a short kick. People mixed because their technique buckled. And why was there such a difference between Toulouse and Munster then? Because Toulouse are animals for the big time. They are, which I don't know how how much you talk about, but to win the top 14 in the European Cup in the same season is big, Ger. You know, it's very big. It's a big achievement. Um, and they've beaten Ulster away. They've beaten Munster away. Yeah, they have the ultimate test this weekend, but um, irrespective of what happens this weekend, they're a team you begrudgingly have to admire. Do you make them slight favourites then against Leinster? No, no, you don't. No, no, no. Stop. Home advantage for Leinster. India Viva, fresh. A team that's travelling, that's playing two competitions. A team that's rested. It's... It's not, uh, I don't think you're looking at a similar set of circumstances between right. the teams. But it's a, it's a closer game maybe than people are, are thinking because the bookies have it like a seven, eight, nine point spread. But if they're animals for the big time, it doesn't get much bigger than this. And they've, they've got the smell of this tournament in their nostrils and they're squeaking yeah, in ahead of you guys in the top 14. So I think they're good. I think they are very good. Yeah, I think they are. I, I genuinely do. But also the biggest compliment you can give Leinster jars, you mean, they... They smashed Leicester. It was 20-0, game over. So it's hard to judge from that game because they were never in any danger. Um, before we go, give us a candor at the beach there outside the window, will you? Turn the camera around for us. Sick in the holes of all of us. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what experience is, making right decisions under pressure. <laughs> Have a good day. Enjoy the seven-hour bus Cheers. journey. Good luck. Good luck. Bye-bye. <laughs> Uh, Ron McGarry refusing to show us his view there um, he just didn't want to make us jealous <laughs> OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day tomorrow the show is live from half seven Adrian Barry and Owen Sheehan Owen is on location for off the ball in North London reporting in the aftermath of the Spurs versus Arsenal match it's his own version of Arsenal Fan TV um, tune in for this very special show tomorrow where we'll also have the latest GA quick picks you've already gone for Derry that's officially nailed now you yeah and that just happened when you asked me so I, I didn't even uh, sit down and uh, ride it out like I normally would but uh, no I think I will I think I'll stick with Derry alright Alan Quinn is also going to be on alongside the uh, preview in the Champions Cup semi-finals much more we're going to leave you with Keith Wood and Fiona Hayes from last night's Wednesday Night Rugby alongside Joe enjoy Fair to say we're into the fun part of the season now. Marseille beckons for two of four. We have our semi-final lineup. So Saturday coming, Leinster to lose. Tickets selling out fast, even though it's uh, such a quick turnaround. 25,000 went on Monday alone. For